Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. He kōna e purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nō mai harumai ki te au huruhanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Klekin Cannon tēnei. This week, producer Ellen Rikers hits the pavement in the Auckland CBD to look for one of our burrowing seabirds. They really shouldn't be there, but they sometimes get a bit lost and hurt on their way home. Luckily, there's a group of people watching out for them. Ellen tags along to learn more. It's around 7am on a weekday morning, first light at Albert Park in Auckland CBD, and the petrol patrol is just starting to gather. So we can um, split up and uh, probably cover a lot more of Albert Park. So um, That's Ariel Heswell, the brains behind the petrol patrol, and a PhD candidate at the University of Auckland. She's studying the sensory ecology of seabirds, that is how they use their senses, like sight and smell, to interact with their environment. I absolutely adore Cook's petrols and seabirds. Ariel was inspired to start the Petrol Patrol in 2022, after her experience volunteering with her fiancé Brian at a local bird rehabilitation centre called Birdcare Aotearoa. We saw so many Cook's petrols coming in from light pollution. We had 156 last year and 150 the year before. So just seeing all these grounded cooks was like, oh, we could really try do something about it. But before we start the seabird search this morning, what is this bird we're looking for? And why are they falling out of the sky? A Cook's petrel, or titi, is a species of seabird with grey and white colouring, about the same size as your standard chip-stealing seagull. They're very similar to a seagull, but a little bit darker and greyer in colour. And But they also have like a black bill and quite lower to the ground. So And they, they sort of waddle. They can't really walk that well. They really can climb trees, though. They'll climb trees really well, but... Um, in terms of walking, not, not their strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> also unlike a seagull, Cook's petrels don't hang out at the beach. They spend their time at sea and only breed here in Aotearoa. They were once found across the mainland but are now confined to three islands. Down south, they're on Whenua Ho, or Codfish Island, off the coast of Rakiora. And up north, here in the Horaki Gulf, they're on Hoturu Otoi, Little Barrier Island and Aotea, Great Barrier Island. It's these northern birds that have to make a treacherous nighttime commute across the Auckland Isthmus to find a feed. When they try to commute or across, um, sadly, a lot of them are distracted and disorientated by the lights, and many fall victim to the light pollution. Um, many end up colliding with buildings, end up 
um, grounded, sometimes right beside streetlights, on people's doorsteps, even people's backyards, potentially on city roofs as well. And sadly, this interrupts their little mini migration route. And so they can't really take off again without getting to a high vantage point and having some wind there as well to help them take off. And so if they are stuck on the road or by someone's house, it's really hard for them to take off again and get on routes. So, yes, that is sadly a sad reality of what happens for many of these coast patrols. During spring and summer, if you live in Auckland or Northland, you might hear their call overhead at night. The adults regularly travel from the Gulf to their foraging grounds in the Tasman Sea. They prefer deep waters, snacking on squid, fish and small crustaceans from the ocean's surface, before making the long journey back to feed hungry chicks. Then in autumn, it's the fledglings' turn to make the land crossing. It's these young birds venturing out into the world for the first time ever that seem to fall victim to the lights more often. We are seeing a lot of cooks petrels come in which have the little fluffiness of their little chick feathers, downy feathers, and they're, they're really cute and adorable when you see those, but also quite sad because, you know, they've just left their burrows and this was their first fate obstacle in them on their journey and it's sad that it's something which could be easily fixed with just switching off lights and um, closing curtains as well and just removing turning off any unnecessary lighting which you don't need especially during this time of the year because these guys are going into the world for the first time and sadly this is what happens to a lot of them they end up grounded sometimes um, fatally wounded So the theory is that it's the bright city lights, the artificial light pollution, that discombobulate the cook's petrels, resulting in them crash landing on roads and in backyards, or even colliding with buildings. This idea is supported by research Ariel was involved in. When birds, uh, cooks, petrels come into Bird Kaotero, um, we note down the addresses as to where they're found. And so using that data, we were able to map out where in Auckland, um, where these seabirds were actually grounding. Then in collaboration with another researcher, Ellery McNaughton, they overlaid this map with a map of light intensity. With that, we were able to find a correlation with light intensity and Cook's petrol grounding. So in the areas which were more light intense and had less amount of natural night sky, such as in the concentrated in like the CBD areas, maybe industrial areas as well, which had a greater light intensity, those were the areas which we were found having more Cook's petrols groundings. Which is why we're here in the CBD scanning footpaths, car parks and garden beds for any sign of wayward seabirds. According to the mapping, it's a Cook's petrol hotspot. All right, um, shall we go? Yes. Yeah. 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 And this will be on the other side. Yeah, sure. The plan is to fan out, to cover more ground. We usually patrol for about a couple of hours uh-huh. until about 9, 10 o'clock. Yeah. And, then, um, uh, and then if we do find a bird, we'll take it back to bird care. And um, last, uh, so a couple of days ago, there was actually a bird found in the Sky Tower. And um, yeah, sadly it collided with the Sky Tower itself. Even if a petrel doesn't sustain an injury during its crash, it can't take off again. These birds need high vantage points and a bit of wind to take to the wing. Plus, once on the ground, they're vulnerable to cars, cats, dogs, stoats and rats. 
So if we do find a bird, the patrol team have come prepared. We have some bags and carriers and some pillowcases and gloves and what we would do is that using gloves we would um, carefully pick the bird up and put it into one of the bags temporarily. Um, we have uh, boxes back at uni so um, we'll transfer them into the box once we return to uni and then that would be taken to Verke Aotearoa the same day. The route takes us down to Britomart, through Wynyard Quarter and back up to the Sky Tower. So as we're walking along, uh, can you describe, like, are you sort of scanning? Like, what are you, what are you doing to look out for them? Yeah, so usually what I do is I just um, scan along both sides of the street. So, like, I look around, maybe pop my head over, like, some bushes and things. Sometimes I look um, uh, up one street. Uh, just like to quickly glance because if there's no nooks and crannies then they're most likely not there so like yeah just do a little quick scan up there don't really see any we peer into bushes we look in car parks this is where there was a petrol found yes. yeah. yeah so always come back here to just double check another one isn't following in the footsteps <laughs> yeah we have a pit stop for a petrol inspired snack we try to encourage our volunteers to come back by usually once a week. We have um, cookies on the cookie patrol. So. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> Ariel affectionately refers to Cook's petrols as cookies. But by the end of the patrol, the only cookies we've encountered are the choc chip biscuit kind. Here's volunteer Lucia. We kind of want to um, find petrols. Um, at the same time, we don't want to find petrols because if we find them, um, it means our patrol is working. Um, but then if we don't find any, it means they're not being grounded, which is also which a good is thing. <laughs> yeah, which is great. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, very conflicting thoughts. <laughs> the petrol patrol operates over a few weeks in late March and across April, coinciding with the inexperienced young birds making their first journeys and also coinciding with the peak in the number of groundings. After two seasons, they haven't rescued any birds yet but Cook's petrels are still crash landing across the Auckland region and ending up at Birdkia Aotearoa to recuperate. So that's where we're headed next. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> good, yes. Oh, thanks for coming back. Thank you. No, I'm excited. <laughs> Located in West Auckland, Birdkia Aotearoa is a dedicated rehabilitation facility for birds, certified by the Department of Conservation. I'm meeting Ariel again and also Lynn Miller, who has recently finished up as BirdCare's general manager after a three-year tenure. It's a full-on job with thousands of patients every year. We receive somewhere around the 6,000 mark and we take all birds except for people's pets. The 6,000 patients each year include introduced species like the minor chicks I get to meet. We have a native and a non-native nursery. Right. So here's the non-native nursery. And um, the last of the nine. Now, under the pest management program, of course, you're not allowed to do minor rehab unless you have a variance or permission to do so, and we do. And the reason we did that is that we have very few miners come in. They're smart. You think of the millions of miners in the area. How many do you see dead on the road? Almost none. These guys are smart, but we do get some in, and I would much rather they came in here so that we can 
work with them and make sure that we do everything ethically and humanely and, of course, according to the principles of good wildlife rehabilitation. But you can see how healthy they look. Those guys are just about ready to go outside. Now, I think they're just about all self-feeding now. Every bird is known as a patient, an individual patient here. And, of course, there are the natives. Residents on the day of my visit include a cormorant with an injured foot, a gannet, who had arrived as a teeny fluffball baby but has grown into a gangly teenager, and a korora little penguin enjoying some bath time. But of course, I'm most excited to see the cook's petrels, a bird that surprised Lynn the first time she met them. I wondered what the hell it was. <laughs> well, it's a sort of little grey and black and white bird. Oh my God, it's not a gull. <laughs> Yeah, you just look back and you think, oh my God, that that cute little bird is actually a cook's petrol. I had to get somebody to help me idea it, um, but it was just really exciting to see these birds. Uh, the first year I think I was here, we only had a, probably 10, 12 birds come through. I think it was very low numbers. A few more than next year, I believe. And then, of course, we hit 142 one year and 153 the next yeah. or something in that lines. It's unbelievable the numbers that are coming through. And we, I mean, we can speculate about why. Is it because the colony is so much more robust, there's more birds? Or are the lights changing? Ariel says that, yes, the streetlights did change from yellow to white LED over several years from 2015 to about 2019, coinciding with the boom in downed petrels. This year, though, the numbers are down a bit perhaps due to the wild, wet weather. Colour of light and its impact on seabird groundings is a question requiring more research, according to Ariel. As for the colonies, the Hauturu population is recovering. Around 286,000 breeding pairs make their home on the predator-free island, with breeding success increasing substantially after rats were eradicated in 2006. With hundreds of petrol patients under their wing, the team are now well-practised at rehabilitating a cookie. When one arrives at bird care, it will first get checked out by a vet. Then they go into triage. And unless they are in critical shape, need looking at now, they often get given some time to decompress. They've had a hell of a lot of time you know, being handled and transported and things like that, and that's scary. And give you... Time to decompress reduces all the stress chemicals and then when they're looked at, we have a much better feel of how they're looking. Some birds have terrible injuries from collisions or crashes that can't be remedied and males seem to be overrepresented in these casualties. Here's Ariel again. What we're finding is that it does appear to be a male bias in the ones which sadly didn't make it. What we don't actually know is that if more males are coming in to the centre as well. So we're planning on doing hopefully some more research onto that as to if more males are coming in. And if so, why is that the case? Are males migrating in different areas and different routes maybe? Or are they leaving at earlier or later times to make their migration? So there are all these kinds of questions which could be answered. But for those with a positive prognosis, they're in for a one to two week stay with top-notch care. Do you like to see a cook's? Yes, I would love to see a cook's <laughs> We've kept you waiting long enough. <laughs> Ariel lifts a towel covering a cat-sized carrier cage to reveal a cook's petrol. 
then another, and another. Their plumage is sleek, scalloped grey feathers on top, with pure white bellies and the perfect smoky eye shadow. Some flap their wings and waddle awkwardly, nestling into the corners of their cages, since they're burrowing birds. They're sweet, and I can see why Lynn and Ariel are enamoured. I used to just love going and watching them. You know, they they have quite a dominance um, strategy going on. So, you know, if you put a group of them together with a lot of little hutches, uh, we use cardboard boxes because they're burrowing creatures. They quite like to get out of sight. And you watch this, the biggest one would be put down, and you actually watch watching to see what she'd like and then he goes and beats the guy that's in there kicks him out and takes over his burrow they're they're really quite personable and uh, personality pluses yeah very funny the cook's petrels are fed three times a day we have a recipe book which is a bit like the Edmunds cookbook for wildlife rehab (laughs) so it was developed in-house here and has recipes for or feeding ideas for every species we get in For the cook's petrels, the staple recipe sends a strong, fishy aroma wafting across the facility. So if you're a seabird, you can imagine um, it's rather nice not having them in the building because they are rather smelly because one of the things they do eat a lot of is fish. Imagine what it smells like inside when we're cooking the fishbone broth. This forms the base for a delicious squid smoothie. Ariel explains. So you take some, a couple of arrowhead squids, so a medium size, not too big, and then, yeah, you just blend it all up with some fish broth and some other extra nutrients as well we add to it. And then, yeah, you just feed, you just give them a squid smoothie <laughs> three times a day. It's beautiful. At feeding time, one person holds the petrol in a towel and another person inserts a tube down the bird's throat. It doesn't seem like the most pleasant dining experience and the petrels exert their grumpiness by trying to kick their little webbed feet and bite with their beak. But it's important they get lots of calories ahead of their release. Then there's bath time. Here's Lynn again. So we use a water at about 42 degrees yep. temperature yep. and about a 1% solution of Dawn detergent in that. And then yep. we just wash them, just like dishes. You wash them. Don't put their heads in. <laughs> that would be bad. Uh, so we wash them all over, literally soak them up. And at that stage, they're just like wet rags. Next is rinsing. And the rinsing is critical. So what the washing has done, the d- d- detergent actually gloms onto all of the contaminants in the feathers and it puts it into the solution but the soap has um, it's a surfactant so it's also stuck to all the feathers so now we need to get that out but the nice thing is soap washes out of things really easily so we rinse and you literally rinse the birds dry bath time sets the birds up to regain the waterproofing on their feathers which is critical for their survival at sea Usually after we bath them, they need like half an hour straight in the water just to make sure they don't sink. They're looking pretty floaty. Waterproofing is all about the interlocking fine fibres within the feather. Not, nothing to do with preening. That's a preen gland oil. That's, that is conditioning for the feathers helps with longevity and flexibility but it does nothing for waterproofing what the waterproofing is about is just relocking all those very fine structures within the feather and you create um, a process called hydrophobicity it repels water it's fantastic for those lucky cook's petrels that are rescued and brought to bird care 
the bath and squid smoothie regimen results in an impressive release rate of rehabilitated birds. We are obviously leading the way with our Cook's Petrol work, 85% in total of the birds that come in here are released again. And they're banded. Lynn is hopeful they'll see birds banded by bird care turn up at the breeding colonies on Hauturu and Aotea one day. The biggest goal is knowing that what we did actually meant we've got a bird that survived, thrived and is now breeding. That's the goal for all of rehab. For Ariel, getting involved in this volunteer work at Bird Care had a big impact on her, spurring elements of her PhD and inspiring research that she hopes will raise understanding of the light pollution issue and ultimately bring about change. Yes, so just by seeing all these Cook's Petrels which came in grounded was really just... It was, it's hard to explain, but it was very like an angry, irritated... A feeling which I got, especially since there is stuff we can do, like turning off lights and things like that, if possible. And it really just, yeah, ever since I saw those groundings, I'm like, I need, we need to do something about it. And so, like, even just like starting to map out where they're from to try and get um, people to realize that this is a huge issue and these are where they're being found and link it to light pollution. You can help by switching off unnecessary lighting especially during March to May when the young Cook's petrels are venturing out. Closing curtains and blinds at night, both at home and at the office, is helpful too. This advice applies no matter where you are in Aotearoa. Because Cook's petrels aren't the only seabird species affected by light pollution. For example, Westland petrels on the west coast of the South Island also regularly become grounded. And in Kaikoura, Locals patrol the streets during Hutton's shearwater fledging season to rescue hundreds of young shearwaters that are downed by the bright lights in the town. Why are seabirds attracted to light in the first place? There are a couple of theories as to why this is, but actually none of it has been proved. But um, there are some theories. One of them is the moon, actually, that they could mistake the lights with the navigational aid because there are some theories that suggest that the moon and the stars are very important for the seabirds' navigation. So there's a, they could mistake the lights for the celestial bodies for navigational aid. Another one, which is an interesting one, um, is that they could mistake the lights for bioluminescent prey source, the lights of their squid, and so their bioluminescent prey. And so they could mistake that for that. It's unsure about that one. Another one is, it's similar to a food source, is that because these birds grow up in burrows, so they grow up in dark places, and at the entrance of the burrow is a bit light, and so when the parents come to feed them, they often pass through that little um, tunnel, which in the light. So they could be associating that little light with the food, like uh, because their parents returning. So they could mistake it for that. No one actually knows. So it could be a combination of all that. But also, I know when a flashlight suddenly shines on me, I'm a little bit dazed and dazzled. So that could also be a case as well. Like they're trying to cross over and suddenly there's all these dazzling lights around. And so they could just be completely in a daze and become grounded. There are plenty of other unanswered questions too, like whether the colour of the light has an effect and also how the weather and lunar cycles interact with light pollution. They tend to be grounded during a new moon, so when there is hardly any like light in the night sky, for example, all the stars and the moon is covered, 
And there's no definite answers to why that is, but most likely it increases the contrast of the lights of the city. And so they're more likely to be disorientated by that compared to, say, a full moon where the lights are less contrasted. Also, during foggy and low clouds, we had a weekend where we had about 20 come in. And that was when it did happen to be a foggy condition. And also a similar reason behind it that it increases the contrasting. So once they're rehabbed, the Cook's Petrels complete their journey to the Tasman Sea. Here's Lynn again. So they're well hydrated, fully waterproof, ready to go. And then they go out to the west coast and get released in high points. Interestingly with Cook's is that they'll climb trees to get a higher elevation for release as well. So they do it, do it quite well themselves, but we actually go and provide them at least with that opportunity to, to get on with their lives, away from the lights. Ariel says they will drive out to Piha or maybe Bethel's, and release the petrels at dusk. They place them on a grassy clifftop. Sometimes they'll climb a tree or take off on their own, but other times they get a final helping hand. Last year, we like to hold them up a little bit, just so they do this in Hawaii and other places as well. Um, they um, try to get the bird to a bit of a height, and then eventually the cook's petrel finds the wind and just takes off out into the sea. It was really amazing just seeing them fly off and it's just like, you know, you've done your best to try and help these birds back on their journey. Like, they were found by wonderful members of the public and the city and then they were taken care of by the team at Bird Care and it was great to see that we helped them back on this journey. And where do they go? After finding some food in the Tasman Sea, once the breeding season is complete, the seafaring cook's petrels take off for winter on an even more epic migration. They fly off to migrate off to the Pacific towards California, Mexico, top of South America, that part. They'll wow. be around there. That's yeah. a pretty massive journey. Yes, no, those little guys take it on. After flying thousands of kilometres across the Pacific, the Cook's Petrels return home to the Horaki Gulf to raise chicks of their own. And hopefully this time, they'll steer clear of the bright city lights. Thanks to Ariel Heswell and the Petrol Patrol. Thanks also to Lynn Miller and the team at Birdcare Aotearoa. You can see photos and videos of the Cook's Petrols at Birdcare on our website, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, where you'll also find an extensive catalogue of more episodes about birds in nature. Ko Ellen Rikers te kaihotu o tēne hōtaka. Ellen produced this one with a little bit of help from me. Sound engineering was by William Saunders, and Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. You can find Our Changing World on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And we're also now on YouTube. Plus, we're on Facebook and Twitter, or you can sign up for our monthly newsletter via the webpage. I'm Claire Kincannon. Thanks so much for listening. Kia pai tō wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 